And now if you can turn back a few pages to Psalm chapter 6. You can find it on page 846 of your pew Bibles. 846. Psalm chapter 6. For the director of music with stringed instruments, according to the Shimoneth, a psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. Thus ends our reading of God's unchanging word. May all who hear it cry to the Lord for mercy. It has been said that Christians should be the happiest people on the planet. For they have a, they have a Savior who has done so much for them that theoretically they should never have a bad day. Unfortunately, such cliches don't speak to the realities of life. In fact, they don't even speak to the truths we find in Scripture. Historically, Psalm 6 is known for being one of seven penitential psalms, often read during the season of Lent. This psalm is a lament that delves into the, the deepest part of the soul. It challenges the reader to consider their own sin. It challenges the reader to consider the Lord's attitude towards the sinner. For the, 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 the psalmist wonders, how, how far will God go in chastising him before he relents? Would a loving father go past the breaking point and continue to deliver blows well after his son has repented. This is the question that our psalmist is faced with, and it is a question that, that we are faced with today. Now, similar to last week's psalm, Psalm 6 follows a repetitious structure. Three times we see a, a cycle of mercy followed by suffering, and it can be outlined as follows. 
In verses 1 and 2a, David cries out for God to show him mercy. Then in verses 2b and 3, he gives expression of his suffering. In verses 4 and 5, he points to God's love and God's glory, petitioning once again for mercy. And in verses 6 and 7, our our psalmist gives another expression of his anguish. Then in verses 8 and 9, we see a shift in David's mood. As his confident spirit returns, for the Lord has heard his cry of mercy and has returned to answer his prayers. And then finally, in verse 10, we we see that, that suffering now belongs to the psalmist's enemies. That being said, let's dive in and see what God is trying to teach us through this psalm of David. Now, the first thing to notice with these first three verses is there's an increasing intensity in which David expresses his pain. In verse 1, the, the Lord speaks, or David speaks of the Lord's rebuke and his discipline. And then in verse 2, we see that, that he is faint and that his bones are in agony. And finally, in verse verse 3, his soul is in anguish. David is building up his case in order that the Lord would relent from his discipline and show mercy. And this is clear from verse 1. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. This is a challenge of every parent, is it not? To employ discipline on their children when they go astray, but to do so without anger. The goal of a a reprimand is, is never to appease a parent's wrath, but rather it is to instruct and correct a child's behavior. Now, as a father, I have to confess that I have not always been the model example in this aspect of raising my kids. There have been times when I have disciplined disciplined them in my anger. And my children knew when that was happening. It's not difficult to tell the difference, for for they see my face, they hear the tone of my voice. Yet with God... It's not always easy to see. For, for he is not present in the same way that a, that a human father is. We don't see his face and we don't hear his voice, at least not in the same manner we do our earthly fathers. When God disciplines his children, it's not always evident that, that he is the one holding the rod. Our psalmist is under the intense weight of the Lord's chastisement. And he is not sure if the Lord is punishing him in love or in anger. So in verse 2, he cries out for mercy. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. We see the weakened condition of our psalmist. He is close to collapsing. His hurt 
runs deep. God's discipline is too severe. And, and David's mental anguish causes physical symptoms as well. He says his body aches, even though that there is no physical harm being done to him. Now, David is a strong man, yet he is ready to black out because of his troubles. He is faint. His, his vigor has been removed, and he can no longer stand. I'm sure many of you have been here before, overwhelmed by your guilt, facing the consequences of your sins, wondering if there is any point in trying to move forward. This is where our psalmist is at. Whatever his iniquities were, he was facing the penalties of his sins. And it seemed like the weight of the whole world was rolling over on top of him. This is the, the agony that he felt. It went straight into his inner being, deep down into the marrow of his bones. But David didn't just suffer physically. Look at verse 3. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? The very essence of who he is has taken a hit. His soul is diminished and is crying out. And this reprimand of the Lord has caused him to wonder if God has deserted him, if the, if the Lord no longer loves him. You see, his, his suffering has gone on long enough, and he feels abandoned. As a Christian matures in their faith, they, they become increasingly aware of the sin in their life. And many times they can be racked with guilt, often wondering if God has really saved them at all. I mean, after all, shouldn't a son or a daughter of God be ridding themselves of sin rather than seeing an upsurge? It is in such situations that the, the Christian tends to lose their assurance of salvation, often wondering if, if God is even for them if they are destined for hell. In the letter to the Ephesians, God delivers confidence to the believer as to why this is not the case. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Here you can see that, that salvation has nothing to do with how good of a person you are. Your sin has no bearing on your standing before God. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. And the sins that you commit after you believe cannot tear you away from God's grip that he has upon you. 
You are his possession, for he has placed his mark upon you by giving you his Holy Spirit. In other words, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your salvation is guaranteed. Dear friends, if you are grieving over your sinfulness, it is an indication that the Holy Spirit is working in you. To be honest, as a pastor, it's the person who isn't worried about their standing before God that that troubles me the most. For often there is no understanding of how truly sinful they are, and thus they don't feel their great need for a Savior. Yet the Christian still has their flesh. They still sin. And there are ramifications for their sins in this life. Look at Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Being a Christian does does not mean that the the sins of this life will not have consequences in this life. God may have sealed you for salvation, but he must also prepare you for the life that is to come. An eternal existence apart from sin. And so God trains his children through the means of discipline And he does so out of his love for them. Yet so often it is difficult to see that affection in the midst of it. And our psalmist feels that that God's love has abandoned him. So he reminds the Lord of his character in verse 4. Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. David urges God to return to him. He wants wants deliverance from his anguish. So he pleads his case by pointing to the character of God, by pointing to his unfailing love. This is the same Hebrew word that we saw last week in Psalm 5, hesed. There it was translated as mercy, but unfailing love is the essence of what is meant. It is the true love of God, a love that is not conditional, expecting nothing in return. It will not falter or fade away. And our psalmist knows this to be true about his God, so he he looks to that one characteristic where mercy might be found. He looks to God's love. But David doesn't end his argument there. Look at verse 5. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? Our psalmist's suffering is so great that that he isn't sure if he can go on. Now, now we can't be sure exactly what is happening in David's life at this time. I mean, was David's anguish 
making him so physically ill that he thought he was about to die? Had his depression grown so deep that he wasn't certain that he would be able to pull out of it? Maybe it was so great that it drove him to have suicidal thoughts? Or maybe there were, there were enemies in David's life, as, as verse 7 seems to suggest, and these enemies were trying to take his life. It's difficult to know. And the point isn't for us to figure it out. What is important is that the psalmist does feel that his life is in jeopardy. And so he makes such an overture to God. This is an, an appeal to the glory of God. When David says, no one remembers you when he is dead, he's not saying that there is no afterlife, as, a, as if a person is just wiped out of existence when they die. No. He is speaking of the public act of remembering or memorializing God before the people. We see such a practice in Numbers 10, verse 10. Also, at your times of rejoicing, your appointed feasts and new moon festivals, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. The word used for memorial here and the word used for remember in our psalm comes from the same root word in Hebrew, zakar. David isn't talking about, about the dead not being able to remember the Lord. Rather, he, he speaks of no longer being capable of participating in these public remembrances of Yahweh. And this is confirmed in the very next sentence. Who praises you? From the grave. David feels like his life is threatened in some manner, and so he appeals to God's glory, hoping that the Lord will withdraw his punishment, sparing David's life. He is shouting to his God Enough already. If not by your unfailing love, then, then maybe for the sake of your glory, you will change your mind. And so he expounds once again on his suffering in verses 6 and 7. I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Here we see the despondency of our psalmist. He uses this hyperbolic language to describe his misery. I flood my, my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. This is a man who is beat down and worn out. His misery is so complete that he, he cannot move forward on his own. And that is why he appeals to God's love and to God's glory, seeking out mercy from his Lord. You see, this, this reminder is not for the Lord alone. God already knows that he loves David. And God understands that if, if David dies, he'll be losing his greatest cheerleader. 
No. David prays these things for himself as well. He needs to be reminded of God's character. While he is going through an anguish that seems unrelenting, he has to remind himself that God's love is unrelenting as well. And it is through such love that we see the psalmist's attitude shift in verses 8 through 10. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. David is no longer lamenting, for his strength has returned. The Lord has listened to his suffering and has received his cry for help. The trustworthy love of God has returned at last to our psalmist and his confidence is restored. You see, the, the discipline of the, the father has reached its limit. And the, and the contrite and childlike spirit of David has transformed him, transformed him into an assured man who can command his enemies. For the grace of God has penetrated down deep to his very bones, removing any agony that he felt. The love of the Lord has reached into that soul that was in anguish, and joy has been restored to this man. Because of his faith in Yahweh, he is now anchored. And the Lord's mercy has brought to him healing. Friends, I know that many of you here today have, have gone down this path before. Some of you are in the midst of it right now. The sins in your life have come home to roost and the discipline of God weighs heavy upon your heart. You have been convicted, and it seems that there is no comfort in sight. That there is no one who will lift you up out of that pit that you have dug for yourself. And yet, it is such guilt that should lead you to God. To cry out for his mercy as our psalmist did. To look for that unconditional love that can only come from one person. A person who knows the anguish in your soul and the agony in your bones. Luke 22, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus knows of your suffering. And though he never sinned, the discipline of the Father fell upon him for your sake. Like our psalmist, 
He was looking for mercy. He asked his father to relent. And the angel came and strengthened him. However, unlike our psalmist, the chastisement of God would not be removed. His anguish remained as a cross loomed before him. You see, the, the reason God can discipline his children in love is because his wrath and, and his, his anger was appeased in Jesus. It was, it was at the cross that true judgment of the Lord raged fiercely. It was there that the Son of God was forsaken. And such is the, the sentence that every sinner deserves. And such is the, the verdict that, that should be placed upon, upon you. If it were not for what Christ did for you. David felt the anguish of his sin. Until he looked to the unfailing love of God. Jesus stepped into anguish because of his unfailing love towards you. Look to Christ. Point your eyes towards, towards that, that love that comes from the cross. Though your father may discipline you for a time, he has forgiven you for all Eternity. Turn from your sins and trust in Him. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we are not worthy even of your loving discipline. You should burn with fury against us. We have despised your law and, and we are guilty. Yet you have shown us your unfailing love through your son, Jesus. He took up our anguish when he suffered on the cross for our sins. For that, we are truly grateful. Fill us now with the joy that comes from your Holy Spirit. And may the, the anguish in our souls be removed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.